Welcome to the Supercharge Your Startup podcast. Just one of the ways the OVH Cloud Startup Program are connecting members with our network of exciting enablers and startups as part of our Fast Forward Accelerator. We're here to help accelerate your growth by sharing expert advice and insights from our ecosystem that will take your business to the next level. I'm your host, Juliet Otterburn-Hall, entrepreneur and startup consultant. In today's episode, we will be discussing the importance of building a compelling company narrative and the impact that has on your valuation. Joining me in the studio today is entrepreneur, startup strategist, and fundraiser, Cedric Tarossian, whose background as an analyst for Wall Street investors led him to help startup and scale-ups develop the right business narrative, creating value to realize their exit goals. Cedric and I have worked across many companies and verticals together, and I'm delighted to welcome you into the studio today. Thank you very much, uh, Juliette, for having me on your podcast today. I'd love to know, Cédric, what exactly do you mean by narrative? The narrative is the vision and the purpose of a company and the way it is expressed. It's absolutely central to create cohesion, to create a vision and to get people on board. Behind every success story, there's actually a story. In order to scale successfully, you need a compelling story that appeals to your team, your potential partners, investors, and of course, your customers. By the narrative, you start to define the identity of your company or the product you're developing. The more you develop the identity and you, you understand through the narrative how you carve the shape of the company, what it's going to do, you can start to test that to see if it's working or not. Does it respond to a need or not, even before you do any market research? So that's really the, the really important part is to get people on board with the same vision and bring this coordination. And once everybody works in the same direction, you can move mountains. Why is it important for a company to have a strong narrative? Without a narrative, you need much more effort, uh, you need much more development, and the risk you're taking is you develop, you develop, you develop something, and it doesn't come to anything that you can even communicate to anybody. It's also much easier to test a narrative than to test a product. Developers are extremely expensive, and testing it and is also expensive, and making mistakes is expensive. It's much easier to test the narrative worked in the first place and use that as a feedback if you see you're in the, in the right direction or not. Now, if you've got an exciting narrative that everybody can identify with, then, of course, uh, things will be much, much easier and less costly for you. As a founder, that attracts people around you. You know, if you want to have talents around you, obviously, what you may not be able to pay them. So the more they believe in your narrative, the more they're going to be willing and believing in the, in the future of this project and giving their time and talents for maybe equity rather than money. And that's very important to build a business. The better it's built from the beginning, the easier it's to communicate at the end. So an example, and you know, is is how Tesla was built. You know, of course, they started to take with the name Tesla, which as uh, Nikola Tesla was somebody that everybody respected. He was the underdog, and you know, he, he had the right vision, and of course, capitalized on that. And Elon Musk was very strong at building his previous success. And today, actually, the valuation of Tesla with 0.8% market share is actually higher than a Toyota. Renault and uh, Volkswagen together, which shows the, the power of a strong narrative. And a narrative is the cement of the organization and the vision and make people work in the same direction together. And that's where you meet success. And obviously, you work across a whole range of businesses, so from the startup, the scale up, all the way through to series A, B, C and to exit, as well as I understand you teach an entrepreneurship master's in Oxford. 
Do you find that there is a resistance to understand that um, people can reduce their costs and they can develop less and therefore have a stronger chance of having the best kind of valuation if they have a strong narrative? Do you feel there's a resistance across all those levels of businesses? Totally. I think there's a complex there that people think that narrative is hot wind and therefore we should show hardcore facts. It's through the eyes of uh, finance. Finance doesn't like to say they rely on narrative. They want to look at the spreadsheet and tell that actually what they're doing is very scientific. It's not. It's very based on narrative. If you see what's happening, you take five companies with the same revenues, the same profits, they don't have the same valuation. So clearly there is something else beyond the metrics that influence valuation. And this delta, I call it narrative. So what you're saying is it's not about spinning a story. It's about having a concrete understanding of what you are as a business, what your purpose is, and then finding the best way to express it and inspire people. Absolutely. Actually, I would say the, the more uh, strong, the more the narrative has been constitutive of creating the business, the less you need to spin. Usually what's happened is if you don't, if we build, you build, you build, and you got something, a monster there, and it's usually the costs are high, then you start to have to spin a story to explain why you spend so much money. So it's exactly the opposite. Now, if, if your story has been straight and, co- and constitutive of the company you're producing, then you don't need to spin anything. You're actually a dream for a, P- for a PR company. And some of those big companies like Apple or Facebook or Snapchat, they have done some interesting things, haven't they, with narrative and in terms of their approach. Can you tell us a little bit more about how they've been successful? Yeah, I think all of them have been in their own field very successful. Apple, I mean, who needs to know how Steve Jobs was telling the, the narrative of the product and the dream he created. That's why the margins of Apple are higher, because people believe in the stories as well. It's, it's all based on the narrative. And then there are lots of benefits, aren't there, to building that narrative, not just around getting partnerships and investment, but also you can lower your cost, you can make yourself more efficient. What other benefits would you say um, would be out there for, for entrepreneurs thinking about whether they should be dedicating their time to a narrative or not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, the cost is probably the the most interesting part because it might be counterintuitive. But again, you know, testing a narrative and looking that it works, there is a gel, there is an interest, and you check with different people the narrative, you are onto something. Investors are really good, actually, at telling you if you're in the right direction or not. If they are interested in something, usually there is a demand as well to onboard partners. Uh, they, they belong to your vision. They might, they might be able to be investors as well, you know. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking for a way to define your narrative, what is the process that you would take them on? Well, the, the way we work with our client is uh, usually the, the good step is what are the problems you're trying to solve? I mean, that's everybody can agree on that. You need to have found a problem. Of course, the next step, which is maybe this one, maybe less obvious, is what are the existing solutions to this problem? What competitors have done in that field? And by competitors, I don't mean necessarily the people who are already established. You have to be aware of other startups, what they do, because actually you compete not with the big companies which you have to try to take shares from. You compete on the, the deck of the, the, the investors uh, with propositions that are like yours. So understanding really pushing your USP as far as possible and build a competitive advantage and difference and angle, you need to be not only understanding the questions better, understanding what people are doing better and understanding why their solution doesn't fully work. Either they create more problems 
or maybe the price is too high and or people are just it doesn't scale so you need to to bring investors the reason why you, you although people have tried to do that before you you are the one who are actually you know people are going to rally to your proposition and to your product so in a sense, this goes to the objectivization of the business. So this is something that you speak about in some of your posts and writing. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? The human brain is really good at understanding objects, what an object, if you describe it, not so good when it's an abstract concept. So if you are a software company or something a bit abstract, try to use as much as possible description as if you are describing an object. So for example, uh, you know, if you're a software company, you say, okay, it's a platform, uh, it's B2B, it's B2C, anything that investors use to classify the different propositions. So you need to understand the, their language and speak their language as much as possible rather than using jargons or uh, acronyms that may make you sound clever, but actually alienate them. So don't try to alienate people to feel superior and feel that you know a lot. Try to be rather the opposite that anyone could understand your proposition. Try to bring analogies as much as possible that can be helpful. Don't go as far as, you know, the we are the Facebook of football. I think too many people have used that cliche, but you need, you need to find the, the good ones that are appropriate to your proposition. Also, uh, remember that if you're speaking to a VC or a family office, you need to give them the key takeaways so they can defend your proposition when they have the meeting to discuss what they're going to invest or not. Often, what's happened is the people you speak to are not the decision makers, they're the people filtering. So keep that in mind. And on that note, what is the importance of the narrative for building a realistic business plan and five-year financial projections and other things that are expected by the investment community? That's where it becomes really, really interesting because, yes, often when you come to the spreadsheet and the five-year financial, they say, okay, now there's no story anymore. It's purely I don't know, accountancy. And actually, we work with a, a great accountancy firm that understand the power of narrative to precisely build the financial projection. Look, I work for listed companies, you know, on the very stable markets. None of them were able to give you a reliable a five-year plan. No way. Even companies who have been there for 100 years on stable market. How can a startup really have, you know, something that is very solid? It's no way. The narrative is very important to design and, and conceptualize what you're going to do in the future. And reversely, it's also very important that through the figures, you understand your, the narrative you're conveying. So no one can predict the future, no one, not even an established listed company. So the five-year plan is the way for investors to understand how you think, how ambitious you are, how, how you've been analyzing revenue streams, how fast you are planning to develop, how needed they will be in supporting financially these developments, and how you have mitigated risks, and how your projection and vision uh, that are expressed in your deck are matching with the financials. So uh, investors need really need to understand through fi your financials that you understand business, you are realistic but ambitious in your approach. So yes, until you generate sales and profit, it is a story. And you could argue, actually, that even beyond that, when you see companies like Uber or X, X Twitter, it's still a story at play. Uh, and actually, in Wall Street, they still talk about stories uh, and the investment community on listed companies. So it's, it is a narrative. It's using your knowledge as, as, as much as you can. 
So it is actually the vision and the narrative that build this kind of forecast. So once this vision is turned into a spreadsheet, then you can see the inconsistencies, they'll start appearing, and then you can start fixing what your phased approach is going to be, what associated costs they're going to be, and you have a much stronger, more realistic five-year plan than if you're just putting some numbers down in the hope that it's going to work. Precisely, though, though once you finished, you will find out, say, oh, okay, yeah, the problem is, you see, investors, they like usually to put a ticket of, what, 100, 500K in year one, and like, uh, you know, they, they, of, most of them, so they want to reinvest in the next round. So you need to keep flesh on the bone and maybe two, three million minimum in the next round. So you need to fit with that. And if the narrative and the vision you created doesn't fit with that... Can we affect it? So maybe move things around so it's compatible with what they expect. So you can see again, is you you're trying to fit with their narrative what what they want, and and there's you know that that's what you have to respect that. Otherwise, you're not going to get investment. And on that investment note, you put a lot of startups in front of family offices and investors. What do you think family offices make of? that narrative? Do they feel it's important? Do you notice a difference when you put a startup in front of a family office, for example, who doesn't really have a narrative compared to one that's really thought that through? Startups are the convergence of the financial industry and the tech industry. And therefore, the importance of the narrative is underplayed. So never you would hear an, an investor saying, oh, you know, for me, what's super important is the narrative. It's never mentioned, but it's, a, it's actually maybe the most important thing that is the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about because precisely we like to think we are rational people based on hardcore facts and therefore not, not influenced by, by narrative. It's a bit like, you know, the tulip uh, bulb in, in Holland, you know, the speculative thing that everybody knew that tulip bulb could not be worth more than a house. But the, everybody also knew that if the tulip bulb, the price increased by two tomorrow, the price of the house would never increase by two tomorrow. So therefore, you continue to invest in the tulip bulb. So this is really, this, and that's how some companies played very well, is because suddenly, you know, everybody's expecting the, the stock to continue to go up. And uh, that's what's happened on the market. And as the goal of a business is to make a profit, what um, would you say is the contribution of a strong narrative to that generation of a profit? That's also a very interesting work. And then you have to go back to uh, actually microeconomy because at the equilibrium, if you read, uh, they tell you the, the economy is that no one is making any profit. Of course, that's a massive contradiction with what we observe. So how, why uh, companies manage to make a profit is because they are not in a perfect condition described by economists, uh, a perfect condition of competition and, and, and price information. So actually the margins is a distortion toward the market and how you build that is through a brand, through telling a narrative and through not being compared with other, company, or other companies or other products that are uh, similar to you. And Apple has been a master at doing that. You know, often I'm amazed to see how people compare an Apple product. And so I'm going to make myself a lot of enemies with Apple lovers there. But, uh, you know, everybody would uh, agree that uh, you often you get something as good, if not better, for the same price. But people compare an Apple for twice the price of something that is you find in a PC. And that's absolutely brilliant. That's the conv convinced to uh, compare things that are not Apple and peers, I would say. But, um, you know, that are not compatible. And that's absolutely what you you want to do. Again, Harley-Davidson, no one, no one now today is telling you Harley-Davidson is the best motorbike. 
but people buy it because they want a Harley Davidson. They won't even think about take, buying a, a fake one precisely because they, they want the Harley Davidson. That's absolutely the power of a brand. If people want a Harley Davidson, they, they, you, know, you don't need to, to fight against maybe Japanese uh, competition that might be better, that might be uh, more competitive, you know, more reliable, more everything. But people want Harley Davidson for the lifestyle, the, the legend, the narrative, all that's what they want it for. Uh, the Japanese motorbikes who are more, that are more performant don't make them dream as much. And I think that's what it is. People want to dream. So if they are happy to spend more if you make them dream. Now, if you give them something that is just functional and can be replaced by any other product, they will fight for the cheapest product. And that eventually you will be at the level of competition, which means very little margins. Therefore, you'll have to scale and find always on cutting cost, cutting cost, cutting cost. And as you cut cost, well, it's not very compatible with making people dream. So it's a vicious circle. So the goal of a business then, isn't what you're saying, is to build effectively a very strong brand, which then can be communicated to the wide audiences, both to consumers, to partners, to investors, that can build something that at the beginning is bigger than the sum of the parts. But as, as the brand grows, it becomes, it very much starts to embody that identity that it's created. Yeah, absolutely. This is the identity that transpires from, from the beginning, the, the vision, and how you're going to continue to build this vision and you see how, how to build a brand that uh, people dream about. So you're saying a strong narrative is, uh, is very important for a brand in order to develop from concept stage into something that's going to increase it, its valuation, almost grow into itself as it, as it carries on. Can you give some examples of where that's really worked well? I'll give you the example of Yamaha, which is uh, maybe an example not to follow, but uh, still very interesting one. Yamaha in 1975, I believe, uh, created a speaker called NS10M, and it was for recording studio, still used today. When professionals saw those speakers first, including actually my dad who was uh, in, in the business, said this is absolutely a terrible tool to, to use for recording. It's not clean, it's not, it's not neutral, it's not anything we want to do to work. And what most people would have done is to use this feedback and go back to the development team and say, look, uh, we got a problem there. What they did was brilliant. They said, actually, we don't deny the issues you're mentioning, but you're missing the point is actually because those speakers are so critical, they use the word, that if you mix with them and it sounds good, then it would sound absolutely brilliant on any other kind of speaker. And this narrative is so strong that today, I mean, today, they're still in studios and people still use them and still repeat this argument. Their defects become their qualities. It's a very clever argument because it's a bit like if you're a painter and you go to an, an optician and they, they give you glasses and they're terrible and you say, sorry, the, your glasses are not good. They say, but you're a painter. Yes, yeah. Well, if you paint beautiful painting with those glasses, it's going to look amazing with only other pair of glasses. This is about the level. So there's no foundation, but the myth has been there. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. So that's the power of narrative. What's interesting in, in uh, the Yamaha story, it shows that, uh, you know, that sometimes value perception is more important than value. So I don't necessarily su support that with my founders. I want them to create genuine value, especially if you, you know, deal with ESG businesses. But you can see how uh, actually uh, value and value perception are equally important to, to get there. And, uh, you know, if Yamaha has done it with mostly value perception, you can do even better with uh, only dealing uh, with building both with value and value perception. That's very interesting. And actually, that brings me to the, to the next um, question around the influence of the narrative on valuation. So do you see 
a strong narrative, a strong purpose, a strong sense of mission translating into higher valuations. That's an, a very interesting topic, uh, which is not always easy to understand for our founders. It's well understood when your company is selling a product that you're going to, to want somebody to uh, look at the value perception of this product in the eyes of the people who are going to buy the product. And people think that's good enough. The more you do that, the more you're selling, the more margin you're making, and the higher the valuation is going to be. That's right. But beyond that, as we don't want to be just valued based on your metrics, you want to be valued above your metrics, you need to create value perception not only in the eyes of people buying your product, but in the eyes of people investing in your company or buying your company at the exit level. So these two things uh, are, of course, linked, but you can do extra work and understanding the separation between building value perception in the eyes of people buying your product and as, again, having built the object of the company, you're selling this object to people and the vision of this object beyond the product, which is why, for example, Amazon is today much more than just a book platform. is because there was a vision. That's how you drive this kind of value and value perception. And you need this value perception to continue to grow. And so for those entrepreneurs who are in the OVH Cloud startup program, what would you say to them if they're thinking about moving, say, from their first phase, their second phase, from their startup to their scale-up? They're looking out to get some more investment. What would you suggest they do to go about increasing that that narrative strength and and driving greater value perception? Well, to start with, when they um, establish their five year plans, they they need to have a good understanding of. Uh, what they're going to build with the money that they're taking from investors. And that's really important because how this money is transformed is going to influence the next round of investors to say, okay, they took money and they took the company from there to there. Uh, in, and, and how can we do that? That's really important to, to build this value and value perception. So, for example, I see often founders say, let's raise two or three million. I just need that 500K. But look, I can't, I can't be bothered like uh, being always fundraising. I need to focus on the business. And, and I think that's a mistake. You need to exist in the eyes of the investors. Some people do not close rounds anymore. They go for continuous fundraising. And it's a check with reality. Because once you start to play the equity road, road you need to continue to exist in the eyes of the investors build this relationship and eventually you know you're going to have an evaluation that grows faster than your competitors because you have played that card and you have played it intelligently so for example sometime uh, when we speak with the head of sales we show them that yes it might be the same to develop into another vertical in the same geographic market it can be to the same revenues and profit that if we develop internationally but for the investors it may not mean the same thing so what works well for investors that's quite important at the end of the day because as we still depend on them to develop the company, you know, they're as important, if not more than the clients. So it's a strange balance to, to make sure you, you, you know, you manage all these things. So what I'm saying here, the founder has to be conciliating what the head of sales say with their vision and also what people from the equity side are saying and to see, try to balance the two to make them, you know, the best decision. Do you find there's a difference in terms of approaches from different verticals? And I've found that if I'm working with, say, um, a group of medics or doctors or very, very heavily technical people, they sometimes find it harder to express what is clearly an amazingly brilliant innovation we've never seen before, but they find it harder to express themselves. Or is that just kind of a cliché? 
Uh, I think um, all investors uh, agree that uh, there is a kind of PhD syndrome <laughs> and uh, people who are with PhD uh, are extremely solid on the technology side, but often they struggle to uh, be enticing and, and as a result, investors might worry that they spend too much time developing being perfect. Uh, you know, there's the famous quote, if uh, you're happy with your first release, it's, it's a proof that you've been waiting too long. And <laughs> I think, you know, that's a difficult for a PhD, the perfectionist of, uh, side of PhD to deal with this kind of thing. When someone who is maybe uh, less educated, uh, take more the risk. And uh, that's what a startup should be about, is to be entrepreneurs and, and, and say, okay, we'll get away with it, we'll find out. You know, at the end of the day, I think what investors like is that what's cool is to invest in a cat. Why? Because a cat doesn't care about falling or not falling. He knows it falls back on his legs. And what investors like is to, to invest in people they can fall back on their legs. Not people who say, we will not fall, because that's, they know it's not going to be true. They want to be sure that they will be facing and doing the right thing rather than preventing the fall. Sometimes it's better to fall and go back again. Brilliant. That was a brilliant, brilliant answer. Thank you. All our guests on this podcast are asked to give three tips, which we can then extend out to the OVH cloud startup community. And I'd love to know what your three tips are for budding entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who want to scale their businesses in terms of defining that narrative that's going to impress both clients, talent and potential investors. Well, the first one is don't wait too long to, to build a narrative. It has to be constitutive from everything you're doing. You know, it, it's like the, the sauce that comes with, with the meat. Sometimes, you know, it's more important the sauce than the meat itself. So use the narrative to define your identity, communicate that to people, bring them on board and you will save a lot of money and, you'll, you know, you, you will go much further. Uh, the second tip would be each time you build something, check it with the story at the same time and the narrative, you know, in a way that uh, you, you continue to grow the narrative and the vision and what you're building and it's all consistent. I mean, consistency is also absolutely key in the narrative and having financial data uh, consistent with what you're saying in your deck, for example, is absolutely that what you need. That's people say, okay, this this all makes sense. Now, we, you know, if you see financial, they say something and the deck says something else, as often it is the case, then you say, oh, there's discrepancies there or it doesn't seem to gel well. So the narrative is when you have a feeling it's gelling well, it's a bit like a band, music band, you know, you listen to all the instruments and you see they communicate Getting, they're working together. So they, this, is, this is what people like to hear and like to see. And that's what convinces them you are the right, doing the right thing. The third tip would be, you know, two things that actually investors don't like to see is people who are prisoners of their narrative and only look too focused on to, into something and, and others who are chasing too many rabbits. And so you have to have this kind of ability to listen to people, listen what they have to say, how this is feeding into your narrative, make it and continue to have a consistent vision and narrative despite all these influences and take on board the dissonance and, and transform that into a positive. I think that's what makes a really good leader, a good founder, is this ability to listen and, and, and to bring that into their narrative. Thanks so much, Cédric. I've really learned an awful lot today about the importance of narrative and the connection between the story and the valuation, which I think is hopefully very inspiring for our, our listeners for the OVH Cloud Startup Programme. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much, uh, Juliette, for having me today. Thanks. Don't miss our next episode 
where I'll be chatting to a tech startup founder about the issues in tech recruitment and finding out how he's coming up with some clever ways to navigate them. You've been listening to Supercharge Your Startup from OVH Cloud, who are already providing data-sovereign cloud solutions to 1.6 million customers worldwide. Whether you are a startup or a scale-up, we are with you every step of the way to accelerate your business with a specialist range of member initiatives. For more details about our startup program and to start your company journey onto our cloud today with up to €100,000 in free cloud credits and technical consultations, find us now at startup.ovhcloud.com. Your success is our success. Together, we're stronger and faster. Stronger and faster.